Thank you for joining us on this episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett, where we examine current and emerging technologies through the lens of diversity and equality. All right. Uh, hello, everybody, and welcome back to a new episode of Eminent Teachnology with Dr. Rochelle Newton and Drew Stennett. Uh, today, we are going to talk about uh, datafication. Uh, data is, we talk a lot about data. I think data is a very interesting, uh, an interesting concept that is like, in our profession and in like most professions, it is used everywhere, right? Like we always want to make database decisions, which is sort of what our, our uh, most recent podcast was about. Uh, and when I think about what datafication means, uh, first, I don't know how to define it, but so I'll let someone else define it as uh, it's the collective tools, technologies, and processes used to transform an organization to a data-driven enterprise. Uh, and I think that's a very interesting thing. Um, Can I just add? Um, yeah. So simply datafication is the ability to monitor, track, and analyze data. That's simply all it is. And, you know, a while back, you know, we were talking about big data. Big data was such a prolific time, term for a while. And we talked about it, you know, and all that stuff because we were thinking about, you know, if you think about early on, so maybe 10 years ago, we weren't thinking about data the way we think about it now, right? Mm -hmm. But data comes in large chunks. So if you were to dump your cell phone, or if you were to dump your browser history, you'd find a tremendous amount of data. But then you have to go back even further to the ancient times to remember what data is, right? It's bits and bytes, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you have a large chunk of data, you have a large assortment of bits and bytes that have to be converted, to have to be put into some kind of format that you, the technician, or you, the user, or you, the seller, have to be able to do something with. And uh, my favorite people to pro pick on about data is data brokers, right? So they buy and sell data. And more and more lately, you'll see on the bottom of something when you when you uh, download an app or, you know, research something, you'll say, do not sell my data. And that's a really new concept because really before that was happening without your permission, you had no control over that. So when you went to someone's website, what they did with their cookies, what they did with your data was up to them to do. And social media was probably the worst about this because they were they're still to this day selling your 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 data as fast as they can. But datafication in the simplest sense means to be able to gather, analyze, monetize, and in a lot of different ways, use data to advance whatever your cause is. And I'm sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, no, that's great. And uh, it's, it's sort of a funny term because like when, when you describe it like that, like in my brain, I think like, oh, well, that's great. Like we should like datafy everything, right? Like the more information the better. But on the flip side to that, like all this data is like, there's privacy concerns, right? Like how, like, do you want your complete browser history to be available to anyone that buys it? Like the answer is probably no. Like the answer is no. It's not even a probably. It's a no. Yeah. Yeah. And even if you're not doing anything, like not doing anything wrong, like the, the ultimate excuse, like it's still like, it's just too personal. Like it's, you know, I feel like my browser extension is my browser history is a lot of times just like a stream of thought from my brain as like as I'm getting things and looking for them. And I just don't want to give anyone sort of insight into that. And it's very to me, it's scary. In addition to like security concerns, right? Like, are you looking at things that like 
you may not want people to be looking up and I know I, that you're looking up, right? Yeah. You know, um, yeah. and, and, and I think that the interesting thing about data, data fine, you know, for institutions of higher education, datafication is very appropriate. You need it. You need mm-hmm. it. And most companies need it. The problem is, is the word stretches. So first of all, it's a long word. Now you went from data fi to datafication. You know, it's, it's now a long word. But incorporated in that word is the sense that your data is going to be somewhere and somebody's going to do something with it, maybe nefarious and maybe for good, good reasons. So colleges and universities. So they, they accept students, they hire employees, they create different processes and all of that's data, right? So how many times do you access Duke's website? So, you know, that's data, you know, and did you access it from this website? And so data, the process in this new term, and I think it's like, you know, like my favorite one is people of color. Somebody comes up with a term and says, this is something that we should use without really saying much, because really what they're saying we have been doing the entire time. We've been doing this since we've been collecting data. We know we analyze data. We've maybe gotten better. We've gotten technology automation and artificial intelligence to analyze data to give us better results for us. But in in essence, what datafication has said, we have been doing for a long time. It's the end user who is now finally catching up with that term and what that means, right? So you, not you, I'm not going to take you. Let's just take um, my cousin in uh, in California. So my cousin is a uh, recording, he wants to be a recording artist or something like that, right? Oh, awesome. He's constantly in contact with various people about this, but his knowledge of what he's doing only fits in this little small part right here. So he knows that he generates data, but in essence, he doesn't ever think about that, right? So when he makes a call or send a text on his phone, that's data. And two different kinds of data, right? So the text is one kind, the phone is another, and whatever else you might do. Everything you do creates data. But for end users who are not familiar with what these terms mean, the term datafication was meant to scare you, mm-hmm. right? Because it's a big word with big implications. But it's really not. It's just very simply, we have been managing data for a long, long time. You know, 40, 50 years, we have been managing data. We have not all been managing it well, but we've been managing data. We are much better at managing data now. You know, there's something called a chief data officer now, you know, in in our organization, because we understand what data is. And so what someone came along did, and they slapped datafication or datafying on the outside of the, the, the data part to make it seem more glamorous and more frightening. But in essence, it's not. It's simply the fact of managing, analyzing, and I add the term monolizing and using data that you've collected to produce some output or, or result that you want to have. Mm-hmm. So if you go back a little bit further and think about our phone company. So, you know, we were, we, we were not all mobile users, mobile phone users like we are today, but you know, we are connoisseurs of mobile phones, right? Yeah. But that one device in the given day at least a million records it creates or a million pieces of data it creates. Mm -hmm. And again, I'm going back and say what I said earlier, bits and bytes, right? So when we came, when I came to to IT, zeros and ones. And at first that was very confusing to me. How can you get a one 
to mean something or zero. So like the on and off. So the very first part was lights on, lights off, on mm-hmm. and off, yes or no. You know, that was really simple. But then later data grew to being something else. So you could take those bits and bytes, those ones and zeros or a series of ones or a series of zeros or zeros and ones and come up with a statement. So in there, it could be, I want to eat steak for dinner, mm-hmm. you know, in that thing. To the average user, that means absolutely nothing. The bits and bytes and all that stuff. All it means is that I have a device that I use all the time. And in that device, you know, so if I go back and look at how many, you know, like my favorite question to ask people is how many text messages do you save on your phone or how many emails do you save in your email? And mm-hmm. people always ask me, what difference does it make how many I save? You know, I've got unlimited data. <laughs> But what you have also is you have a vulnerability, right? So if you leave all of your emails from 1920 to present day in your email and your computer fails, you know, who knows? Someone steals or ransomwares, who knows? So, you know, the best thing is to think about datafication and what we really should care about is protecting the data. And so, Drew, how do we protect our data as an average human being, not a conglomerate like Duke or a big organization, but I'm just mom and pop and I create a lot of data. How do I protect my data? Uh, so great question. And I think I think step one is being conscious of like what you're generating and when you are generating it. So like walking around with your cell phone is generating data, right? If you have your GPS on. Uh, right. You Everywhere know. you go, it's, yeah. it's capturing it. Or yeah, you have all those apps that ask you, can you can they be active? And you say allow while using the app or always. Yeah. And that's, boy, that uh, I, I severely dislike the, hey, do you want to like let this random game use your GPS location or this even this website location? Like I'll be looking up something on my phone and say it's, you know, I'm going to Harris Teeter and want to pick something up, you know, go to harristeeter.com. The first thing you get is, uh, is it cool if we track you? And like, so we can like tell you which Harris Teeter is closest by. And like, for me personally, I always click no, because I don't want any sort of web browser knowing that. Like for the most part, there's always going to be an option of, well, we can't figure out where you are. What's your zip code? I'll put my zip code in because that's a one-time thing. And that'll just show where the most recent thing is, but just sort of being aware of things like that and the trade-off, right? Like the trade-off could have I could have gone with the trade-off. Yeah, I'm fine with the Harris Teeter ad company knowing where I am at all times, and then I don't have to put in my zip code. Like that's an option, right? And that's probably what Harris Teeter wants me to do. Uh, but just being aware that yeah, they don't need to know where I am like all the time or whenever I go to their site or anything like that. I I want to be conscious of that and not give them more information uh, than they need. And if I was super conscious of it. Hmm? For you to do business with them. Right, right, right. right. Uh, If I were super paranoid, which sometimes I am, uh, I would also turn off GPS if I didn't want uh, companies knowing where I was. Because even if you don't let the browser know, you know, Apple will know or Google will know, uh, things like that. So I feel like the phones have done a pretty good job now of making it easy to just say, turn off GPS, right? Like, pull down your drop down on Android, disable GPS. Now nothing is going to track you on GPS. Uh, the flip side of that coin is if you have your cell phone on, it can still be traced to things like cell phone towers. So it's not going to be 100%, but it's going to give you an extra layer of uh, maybe not anonymity, but privacy, I guess is a better term for that. Um, 
Yeah. So like whenever you get a pop-up, that's always scary. And in general, I try to say no to that. The the flip side of that is like how you were talking about with uh, a few years ago with the, I think it was the GDPR where Europe came up with more regulations around what companies can actually save and versus what they can't save. Right. And because of that, websites had to start saying, hey, like we're going to track you a little bit with this cookie. Is that cool? <laughs> and depending on the website, sometimes I may say that's okay, but most of the time I'm going to say, nah, I just don't want to go here or you know, don't track me because as a privacy conscious person, tracking is generally not what I want to see. So let me ask you this. So recently, a lot of companies have suggested you download their app. So if you go Mm -hmm. to their website on a browser or something, it'll ask you to download this app. And one of the things I learned about, you know, why so many companies were going with apps, their own apps, was because they were tired of buying their data from whomever they were buying it from. So Mm -hmm. they said, well, let me just collect my own data about my users and keep it for myself. The problem with these apps and things is just what you said, right? So how much information, when you you download their app, you know, and you can go into your notifications on your iPhone, I have no idea what it is on your your Android, but you Mm -hmm. can tell it, you know, no, I don't want it to know anything. I don't want to receive notifications from them, you know, and you can set these settings. Mm-hmm. But again, as a consumer, you're asking consumers to know a lot that they don't know. Yeah. And so downloading an app might have benefits. I don't know. So sometimes in an app, you can get a free drink or you get a free meal or something like that. I, I, I don't know. But I always tell you this little piece of advice that my mother told me. If something is free, it's not good. It's a catch <laughs> to it. And in this case, Everything is free. And I'm going to tell you, I am a huge Google user. I use Gmail. I use Google Sheets. I use Google everything, all for free. What do you think they're getting from me using that, right? They know where I am. They know what I'm doing. They know the apps I'm using. They know the data I put in. So if I put some information in a Google Sheet of all the people who are going to participate in the yard sale, guess what? They've got all of those people's (laughs) names and addresses, and I didn't give them any of that. Yeah. And so what datafication does and all these things to me for the consumer means to be aware that you are constantly being, I don't even know if the word is harassed, but constantly being bombarded by people who want something from you. The more technology you have, the more things they're collecting you. So we talked about this for your refrigerator that's ordering eggs. You know, Amazon now knows you don't have eggs. They know the kind of eggs you use. They know how often you use eggs and you've not told them any of that. Any of that, but they now know, right? So Mm -hmm. your car, you know, my my favorite is, I I watch a lot of murder TV uh, and it is the cell phone towers, right? So, Mm -hmm. you know, criminal says, um, no, I wasn't at that place. People pull up their cell phone and sure enough, they were, you know, five miles to this tower because they can't get pinpoint accuracy because there's too many of us, but they can get you within five or 10 miles of that location and say, oh yeah, your phone was near somebody. And then if you're riding in the car with that person, you and that person's signal are both going, even if you have different devices and different carriers, it's still collecting you and that person together. So to me, I think that a lot of what what we are faced with in this day and age is trying to protect yourself. And what Drew said is very important. I think that you need to know whether you're being tracked by something. You need to turn off any kind. Like I don't have location accuracy enabled on my iPhone. I do not. (laughs) I do not turn it on. You know, Mm -hmm. if something needs to know where I am, like if I go to Charlotte, 
my phone thinks I'm in Charlotte when I come back to Durham. I don't even bother changing it. It's like, okay, I'm still in Charlotte. As long as you think I'm there, I'm good with it. I'm sure the cell phone carrier knows I'm not, but something on my phone thinks that's the last place I was. So I must still be there. So protecting yourself is probably the most important thing you could think about. Everybody wants your data. Everybody for various reasons. So Duke wants it so they can do build a better product for you and make their environment safer. But Harris Teeter, Amazon, they want it for different reasons. Now, most of those reasons are not nefarious. They want them because they want to help you, you know, know where the stores are, as Drew just said, whether stores closed or gone out of business or something, when there's a sale or something. But also all of that data they collect, they create a profile of who you are that you've not given them permission to do so. And there's very little you can do about that unless you turn off everything. Yeah. So no Wi-Fi ever. Yeah. Yeah. Very inconvenient, right? Very inconvenient, right? <laughs> no Wi-Fi. You know, turn off your, your cookies. And, you know, when you get to the site, like some sites force you to accept their cookies. You don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. But then you need to go back and unforce yourself. You need to release yourself from that. And so, you know, although I'm making light of this, I'm being very serious. These things are all the things that are harms to individuals who are not aware of what these things out there are for. Anything that's free has a catch to it. Think about it like that. So you may say, well, I'm paying for my cell phone. I'm paying for data. (laughs) What a oxymoron that is right <laughs> so you got a phone and you're paying for data that somebody else is seeing every single bit of that data that you're sending so they need to put us something together called privacy data so that no one sees your data except you and possibly your carrier or whomever maybe yeah. your 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 manufacturer of your phone but no one else sees it well yeah we told you i think Drew you told you a while ago do not go to the public places and do wi-fi do yeah. not you know and it's it's hard too because like what you may you may even be doing something that you don't really think is identifiable like just opening a browser and going to a page but and even if you're not logging in like all of that stuff is like very trackable mostly like down to a single person uh, i was reading uh it was an interesting uh i guess it was like a math thought exploration where they were talking about how many signals do you need like how many yes, no answers do you need to find a person to like figure out who somebody is? And the answer is like pretty low. It was like under 32, I think, because every yes, no answer you ask someone is going to like potentially chop out half of the population. So if you get, it wasn't 32, it was like 28 or 29 data points on somebody that's enough to say, hey, that's Drew Stennett that lives in Holly Springs, North Carolina. And those questions may be like, you know, it's not something super deep. It's, are they coming from a Mac computer? Yes. Are they coming, you know, what's their, is their browser size bigger than this? Yes or no. And then just those tiny little data decisions can add up and be enough for somebody to, to figure out who you are. Yeah. You know, and I think the other side of that is thinking about, you know, why people are interested in this data. And I mean, it is simply a financial reason. I I Mm -hmm. make the exception for institutions of higher education and places like that, businesses that are sincere businesses. But in, in, in most cases, like even Google and and some of these people out here. So, you know, they are collecting data so they can build a better spaceship, right? And I don't mean that literally, but, you know, figuratively, they can build a better product. 
and, and everybody is trying to build something better than the person before. But look at the number of these companies that fail or look at the number of these companies that come around with these hotshot ideas and all of a sudden there's somebody and then they go away. You know, look at the companies that come along in, in, in recent years that weren't here, you know, if you, and now we can't, Zoom, for example, can't live without it. You know, what will we do without it? But all of this comes from your data. It's your data. So, you know, how many people were using Cisco WebEx? How many people were using Teams, you know? So Zoom came up, well, let me make a better, uh, you know, spaceship and mine is faster, cleaner, whatever. That's their selling point. But they did that on the backs of other people's data. Mm -hmm. So we are constantly telling you to think about data in a way that does not give you heartburn or does not cause you to experience a loss. So let me tell you, Drew, what happens to me on my phone. I don't know how. I've never signed up for a, a Democrat or a Republican person. I've never contributed money other than, you know, going to a booth mm -hmm. and something $10 in. I've never done that. Mm -hmm. But now all of a sudden, at least once a day, I get a text message from somebody, both Republicans and Democrats, running for office and telling me all the woes that I need to worry about. So I go into each one and I block them. But after a while, it gets to be so much. I mean, like in, in an average week, I block like 30 or 40 people. I'm like, oh, wow, because somebody has my has something about me somewhere. Right. Yeah. And so yeah. it's a very good idea to block content that you do not want on your smartphone or your devices. You know, you can block them so that they can't. You know, after a while, you have a gazillion block numbers in your in your in your list. But but that's even better than than having people put stuff out there because once that one person so whoever my data was sold to it's more data to be sold right so this person collects data for me so if i were to respond to one of these the person would map not this person but somebody in their political office would, would scrunch it all together and package it and sell it to somebody else and keep selling it you know until they get enough profile about me they can walk to my front door and say yes i know you're going to vote for donald trump in 2024 <laughs> god knows i hope it strikes dead before that happens but <laughs> You know, they can make some assumptions about that. And the problem when they build these things on the backs of our data is that we are not really aware of how much we're losing and how little control we have of our own lives. And what really will happen in, in, in years to come is that we will not be, you know, you know, free to do what we want to do and go where we want to go and say what we want to go. These people who build all these data portals will come up one day and say, you belong in this portal. You can't afford this. You can't do that. So you're in this portal and we're going to provide a space for you in that way. And so in a lot of ways, we have to be really careful about the use and how we send our data out. Yeah, I, I, that's a that's an amazing point, Rochelle, especially around the political stuff where, you know, like political advertising has been around for as long Never. as politics has. <laughs> but the level of information that the political parties have on you has not been around forever. So, you know, instead of just having to say, hey, we're going to mail out, you know, some Democratic info and some Republican info to everybody in these counties, which is not going to be super effective, but, you know, it'll, it's something, you know, they used to be able to do that as opposed to now they can say, well, instead of sending out, you know, 500,000 flyers to like everyone in the state, let's just send Two, you know, 200,000 flyers out to those people that we can tell are on the edge of voting, right? Like, maybe we're not going to send Rochelle a note about voting for Trump, because we know that she's never going to vote for Trump. That's going to be a wasted piece of paper. However, this person over here, you know, Joe right Smith, 
Yeah, yeah. Might consider voting for for him or her. But but yeah. I think that the point that you make, and excuse me for interrupting, but I think mm-hmm. the point that you made was really, really a good point. He used to mail you things. You used to get in the mail, cost whatever it cost to post. Guess what? They don't have that cost anymore because they can text you. Yeah. They still mail stuff. You still get flyers and stuff. But that's going to come to an end. The sooner and the quicker they can get your phone number, get your data, they're going to start sending you stuff digitally as opposed mm-hmm. to sending it to you in mail, which, you know, in a lot of ways is good because I mean, you get to have a few more trees without them cutting them down. Yeah. But, and way cheaper, way cheaper right. to text somebody something than print out a piece of paper and buy right. a stamp. Right. So so in, in, in essence, where we are in, in the grand scheme of things is we are in a world where our data is so valuable. It's, it's like the Fort Knox of whatever it is in the world is data. Mm-hmm. And the more people can get your data, the more they can have access to it, the more they can define who you are and then tell you who you are instead of you telling yourself who you are. Yeah, yeah, that's a great way to put it. The, uh, I know we're, we're about at time, but it always makes me think of these ads where like, sometimes I feel like I haven't even expressed a feeling I have. And then I get an ad for the thing that I was thinking. And it's just, it feels so intrusive. Right, <laughs> like, right, right. It feels like you don't have any right. And, you know, yeah. we always talk about privacy. Constitution, Constitution does not provide for true privacy. Mm-hmm. So in essence, what they're doing is not illegal. But what should happen is the federal government should put regulations in place about data, data use, who can have it? How long can they have it? So even if you go to their site and they would force you to accept their cookies or whatever it is that they force you to accept, they ought to then expunge that at the, as soon as your session ends. But of course, that's not what happens. You, they keep that data and they keep that data and they pass it on and, you know, whatever they need to do. And I think that in a, by large measure, you know, our society is governed in a way that we are stupid enough to believe everything is going to be all right. I'm not of that mind fret frame i am actually afraid of what's coming in the future so it looks pretty good right now we are happy we've got all this new technology and we got all these conveniences but at what cost but at what cost you know so we don't know how to read a map anymore Mm -hmm. we don't have to know how to spell anymore i constantly ask my husband why do you teach kids how to spell hell everything you got will teach you how to that word is spelled incorrectly i don't care what word is discombobulating every once in a while i miss the u and discombobulating it fixes it right up for me yeah so we're going someplace i think that to me is a bit frightening and i don't know how to prepare for it other than to do what we are doing here which is giving mm-hmm. people some advice some recommendations and some knowledge and i hope they take that and apply it as best they can and if not find somebody they can ask to help them i mean i am my security settings and backgrounds are not nearly as robust as drews are because i don't do this any every day so what i'm relying on is what i used to know and what i used to do so you know i'm not in the security space anymore you know i'm not in the data space anymore so now my not my knowledge is old knowledge. So you're going to need people like Drew and people who are out there on the front lines fighting these battles to help you navigate how to be safe. Yeah, yeah, it's sort of like the uh, that sci-fi thing where like we're all on like a spaceship right now and like we don't know like who built it or <laughs> or why how it runs. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of we're living there and uh, flying to wherever we're going, but we just don't have that. Uh, that background knowledge of how it all got built up because like, we don't need to know how to spell anymore. Right. Like we just type some letters in that we think are going to be close and the computer just figures it out for us, which is 
Amazing in subways. Frightening. <laughs> yes. Frightening. Frightening. Right. Yes. So, but but that's automation and artificial intelligence in its full example, and it's going to get better. So, you know, think about your health. And I know we don't have time. We're actually over time, but but think about your health, right? So after a while, you know, all of these wearable things. I think we talked about this a little last week or the week before. But all these wearable things. Think about what they're doing with the data they collect. If you, if you sent your DNA to find out who you are, and so, you know, white people don't have to do that as much as black people, but, you know, where did I come from? You know, what, what's my home country? You know, who are my relatives? You know, and if you look at my DNA thing, I'll show it to you one day. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm a little bit of everything. I'm German. I'm Irish. I'm Nigerian. You know, all of these things in, in who I am. But with all this data that people collect about me, think about what that means, right? So when you categorize people by race, we categorize people by age or gender or, you know, disease, health, right? So based on these criteria, Rochelle is going to be a health risk for high blood pressure or high mm-hmm. cholesterol or something of that nature. Stop biting mm-hmm. the pillow. <laughs> What's wrong with you? He bites everything. Um, <laughs> but um, how do we how do we control our lives to a degree that we are not positioned where somebody comes along and says, well, here are the high risk, high blood pressure people. Here are people going to have a heart attack and all these things. Here are people going to have cancer. Here are people who are going to have whatever else. And so when you collect all that data and you get a picture of someone, you make decisions that may not be in their best interest. And I would bet you money, healthcare systems, systems that have something to do with how we spend our money, the economics of things, we'll start thinking about these things once they start getting getting this data and being able to do something with this data. So we know that we can limit the amount of healthcare we give to Rochelle because she's a candidate for high blood pressure, which means she's a candidate for heart disease. So we can get limit the benefits that we give her because she's coming with these illnesses to us because she's got this genetic background. Yeah. Yeah. If that doesn't scare the living shit out of you, and I just <laughs> I meant to say that, you must be dead already. Because that's frightening. That is frightening. Yeah. Somebody to say, we're going to tell you how much benefits or what you can have based on this data we've been able to collect about you. Yeah. And that's where that like coming in where it's like the data may be accurate now, but like enforcing that data accuracy can be like a self-fulfilling thing, right? Like if they say, oh, well, we think that statistically speaking, Rochelle has high blood pressure. So we're going to not worry about her healthcare enough, which is probably going to make her blood pressure go up more and, you know, remain untreated, which is going to mean that more people like you are going to be denied that healthcare that, and it just goes on and on and on. Absolutely. So data, data is not humanity. It <laughs> we is have not. to keep that in mind. And, and remember that when you are out there in the world, you are constantly generating data Anybody need a beagle? Constantly generating <laughs> data. And in that data, there are pieces and parts that is good for others to know, right? It's good for Z- Google to know what your IP address is so it can deliver what needs to come to you. Come to you. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, those genuine things that people need to know, they know anyway, or they know by, by certain circumstances. But it's the other things that they need, they want to know, like they want to know your location, like Harris Teeter want to know your location. Think about data as a two-edged sword, right? Great and bad at the exact same time. And you need to be the owner of your data as opposed to allowing other people to have it. That's, that means you, if you want to allow, you know, cookies or accept something, if you want to go browse and you don't want to clear your browsing history, and I will tell you, I am terrible about clearing my browsing history because I don't remember what I did. <laughs> Oh, that's terrible about old people. But, you know, 
own your own data, own your own history, own your own life before you find out you don't have it to own. Thank you for listening to Eminent Teachnology. If you like the show, please review, subscribe, and recommend us to your friends and family. We'd love to hear feedback from you as well. You can email us at eminentteachnology at gmail.com. See y'all soon.